Welcome to episode four of the Future is Inclusive Technology Podcast. The future is empowered communities, brought to you by Cisco. Walking in, Sarah makes a cup of tea, settles at her station and puts on her headset. She still gets the feeling of warmth and community as she walks through the door, even after all these years. A fellow volunteer calls, morning Sarah, across a row of desks. Sarah is one of almost 4,000 Lifeline crisis supporters who give her time to support over a million people in Australia facing their darkest moments. Connection can save a life. If you or someone you care about needs support or thinking about suicide, please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14, 24 hours, 7 days or chat to a crisis supporter online at lifeline.org.au, 7pm to midnight, seven days. Joining me to discuss how digital technology is changing Australia's crisis support services is Beth Parkin from Lifeline, a national charity providing all Australians experiencing a personal crisis with access to 24-hour support and suicide prevention services. Hello, Beth. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for having me. And from Cisco, Director of Government Affairs for Australia and New Zealand, Tim Fawcett. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Heidi. So, Beth, I'll start with you. Lifeline is obviously making a huge difference in the lives of many Australians. What is it that Lifeline is striving towards? What's your mission? So, our goal is to ensure that no Australian has to face their darkest moment alone. And by providing a -a 24-hour-a-day service, we can listen to people without judgment across Australia at any time of the day, uh, ensuring that they don't have to face being overwhelmed or experiencing crisis and they have a voice that will hear them, whether it be through our voice services or through our our digital services. And Tim, if I can go to you now, so what's Cisco's involvement in Lifeline? Can you describe that for me? Well, I think from Cisco's perspective, the chance to be involved and partner with Lifeline is focusing on a really important issue for us as a company both in terms of our employees, our customers and partners, uh, but also the impact of the commu- on the community of mental health, mental wellbeing. So to join with an organisation like Lifeline that is focused very much on supporting people to tackle their mental health issues and on a journey towards mental wellness is a great partnership for us to have and focuses very much on our vision to empower an inclusive future for all. And if I can go back to you, Beth, what are some of the trends you're seeing at the moment? And are you seeing some concern in the Australian community? Oh, absolutely. We've seen Australians turn to us in greater numbers than ever before. Uh, We're receiving, you know, well over 3,000 calls a day and over 1,000 digital interactions through SMS and chat. Um, If you think about the, the calls alone, that's a call every 30 seconds. So overall, our volume has increased about 25% since the same time last year. Um, and obviously of the, the recent lockdowns across a big proportion of Australia has really had a, a significant impact um, across New South Wales and Victoria particularly. Um, so yeah, huge increase in our demand. And in fact, the digital component alone, we ran a social media campaign recently and uh, there was so much interest in our, in our digital services that um, Unfortunately, we had to take the campaign down because we didn't have enough people to service uh, the demand, which is important for us as well to make sure that we can service those who are reaching out to us. 
you mentioned the the digital services. Can you can you elaborate for me on on exactly what those what you're talking about there? Yeah. So today we offer servicing through online chat and through SMS. Uh, we have a desire to look at uh, messaging in the future state as well. Uh, but online chat and SMS have been proven really um, interesting and effective, particularly to a broader range of the community uh, and a demographic that is, um, you know, younger or not able to um, feel comfortable to speak to somebody. And I'll go to you, Tim. Um, so certainly with that layer of uh, of digital services and and a call every thirty six seconds, that's a a fairly extensive digital challenge. Can you elaborate on? on just the, the infrastructure required to, to service um, or to meet those service levels. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been one of the great things about the partnership with Lifeline is helping them and uh, working with them to meet those challenges that exist in relation to meeting demand, the spike in demand, particularly in a, a pandemic environment where people are facing mental health and mental well-being issues uh, more frequently than ever before. Uh, from a technology perspective, the real challenge is how do you integrate the services um, in a way which is secure and consistent um, and also reliable because quite clearly that's one of the key um, uh, technology needs that needs to be met when you are providing that type of crisis counselling services to make sure that the engagement with the client is um, sound and reliable uh, and obviously doesn't drop out. The other uh, major technology um, component is around simplicity. So being able to simplify your services meets some of those other challenges, uh, but it also allows more people to be able to access the service by making it simple and easy to connect. And finally, I think the key challenge around from a technology perspective, which Beth has already spoken about, is the ability to scale. So when you have a spike in calls to Lifeline or engagement with Lifeline counsellors, you need to be able to scale that capability from a technology perspective, despite the challenges you might be having in meeting the actual number of counsellors that can meet the spike, which Beth spoke about. So I'd say it's those, if you like, five things, consistency, reliability, simplicity, security, and then being able to scale. Tim, you've recently retired from your role at the Diversity Council of Australia. How important do you think mental health awareness and support is for our communities as a whole, but particularly for the at-risk groups? Yeah, well, the, the work that the DCA has done has shown firstly what we all know uh, in our community, and that is that mental health doesn't discriminate. Uh, it affects everyone. Um, and that's obviously been made much more um, prevalent um, due to the trying times we've been going through for the last 18 months, two years in particular. Uh, it's like a, a number of illnesses, it doesn't discriminate against people. So that's the first thing, it affects all of us. So the DCA research is showing that while uh, mental health, mental wellness, uh, mental crisis issues impact everyone, uh, it often affects the communities in different ways. Now, for people who are facing additional intersectional issues, whether that be the LGBTIQ plus community, Indigenous Australians, people with disability, even older Australians, uh, what we're seeing is that mental health can impact them in even higher rates. So the DCA has been doing a lot of research, not only about the way mental uh, health awareness and mental health support can be beneficial to all of us in the community, 
that there's also a need to target services and particularly from an employer perspective, be able to target support services for people who are at risk, like some of those groups that I mentioned. Beth, what has the last 18 months meant for your organisation? Yeah, so we've um, had to become a lot more tech savvy. Traditionally, Lifeline is operated out of um, you know bricks and mortar centres, um, you know which has which has been uh, a, a good environment for supportive counsellors. But we've recently added remote working for all of our crisis supporters, so that they can uh, voluntarily work from home if they prefer, uh, given the their need for social distancing and you know wearing masks in the office. Um, We're also with our text and chat service. That service is run fully remotely. And so we've had to build online training and and a support mechanism with a centralized approach. Again, technology has been a big part of stitching this all together. Um, And Tim, I I, I think you're at somewhat of an advantage being a technology company, but uh, I'm imagining the, the last 18 months have still been pretty challenging. Yeah, absolutely, Heidi. Uh, I mean, we're a global business with about 75,000 workers spread across 100 different countries. So this has impacted us in a global perspective in in Australia in the same way as what it has in other countries. You know, offices have largely been closed. With some exceptions, we've been able to open some of our offices because of the great job that Australia as a country in in general has done in um, being able to overcome the pandemic and COVID in particular. But nonetheless, we've still had thousands of employees who've been working from home uh, over the last 18 months. Uh, now that includes pe- people that are parents who've been homeschooling at various times over the last uh, 18 months, as well as people who live by themselves uh, or in a share house and maybe have been working from a bedroom or a kitchen or what you might call a, um, you know, a difficult, a difficult place to work a day in, day out without break or without that social contact that uh, people have, uh, who have uh, people around them are able to get. So it has been very challenging for our employees uh, as uh, in Australia in particular, uh, in other parts of the world as well. So how do organisations ensure that their digital systems still have that personal touch? Well, it's a very topical issue because there's always a lot of media stories around about artificial intelligence and robots that are taking over our lives and um, depersonalizing our experience. And to a certain extent, I understand why people might be concerned around that. But ultimately, personal touch comes from people. So while there are systems and technologies now that can support um, engagement um, with businesses or with um, support services, uh, having the right people is really important. Having the right people requires a really good working environment with a great culture. Uh, and it also requires, I think a lot of people now are saying, I, I want to work in a, an environment, a workplace that uh, has good technology as well. And certainly as the demographic of our work, people are going to be demanding really good technology solutions to enable them to do their work efficiently and have the impact that they want to have So I think technology plays a really important part in that. But ultimately, the culture of an environment is the best way to attract good quality people that can then deliver that personalised or human touch for uh, the services that you're delivering, in this case, counselling services. What's been your experience, Beth? Have you improved your digital platform? And have you also found an improvement in that personal touch? Uh, it's interesting because I come from a background where where we were using a lot of bots and AI and really trying to 
direct customers throughout without having to touch a human being. Um, but really in the, the crisis support um, arena, you need to think about that personal touch and, and about making sure that even through digital servicing that you have that ability to be, to be human. Um, and so we're still grappling with the idea of how do we use AI? When is the appropriate time to use AI? Um, but, but for us, um, it's about making sure that our help seekers have the right channel to be able to interact with us, whether it be through voice or digital, um, and making sure that our teams feel supported to deliver the service in the best way possible as well. Lifeline's volunteer-led workforce create connections, listen without judgment, and offer hope to those who reach out for support. Whilst these volunteers and employees focus on helping those experiencing their darkest moments, Lifeline is focused on ensuring that they can do so seamlessly and around the clock. Beth, as a not-for-profit, Lifeline's obviously reliant on the support of the community. What does your workforce look like? Can you outline the difference or the split between employee and volunteer? Yeah, we currently have uh, about 70% of our workforce is volunteer and 30% is paid. Um, the 30% that are paid are predominantly in those hard to fill hours, which are the overnight hours. Um, and we, you know, in my world, it's really critical that we have a great volunteer experience to attract people to continue to want to volunteer with us. And that covers a really diverse range of anyone from a retiree through to a university student who has interest in mental health. Um, so being able to cater uh, the business need to, to have both sets or, or several sets of people uh, want to volunteer with us and, and, and stay with us is really important. And, you know, think about um, continuing to evolve the, the VX or the volunteer experience um, and how do we make it really easy for our volunteers to come in and not be worried about the technology they use every day. It's, it's, it's intuitive. They can just get online or they can get on the phones and the technology almost is, in their view, it's, it's a key enabler, but they're not really thinking about it because their focus is wholly on supporting the help seeker through whichever channel um, the help seekers come to us from. Creating a value-driven culture and positive employee experiences has become a big consideration in attracting and more importantly, retaining talent. One major conversation in many companies is how do you proactively encourage mental well-being? And I'll, I'll start with you, Tim. How important is it and how can businesses empower their employees to undertake self-care and prioritise their mental health? And what's Cisco doing in this space? Yeah, thanks. Look, for us, it's uh, uh, high, the highest possible priority. I mean, you can't service your customers, your partners and the general community if you don't have employees who are um, well, who are healthy and who are looking after themselves and being looked after by their employer. So, you know, the first thing that happened when uh, this exploded was our CEO, Chuck Robbins, uh, based in the United States, every single week had a global all hands meeting, meaning a, a town hall meeting with every employee in Cisco who was able to attend it depending on time zones. Uh, and then it was replayed the next day. And the purpose of that was really from the top down, from our CEO and chairman saying, you are important to me, your mental wellbeing and your mental health is important to me. And that was a weekly check-in, not only with Chuck Robbins, but also with his entire leadership team. And in addition to that, Cisco brought in healthcare specialists from around the world who were able to brief employees on what was unfolding 
uh, as the pandemic spread across the world, what Cisco was doing about it and what things they could do to ensure their health, the health of their families and friends, uh, and importantly, their mental health uh, prioritising. Um, so that was really important, that leadership from the top in particular. The other thing Cisco has said that basically employees' jobs were safe, that we weren't going to be undertaking major cuts or anything like that. So that notion that you had a secure employment, I think was also really important. Another thing Cisco's in implemented is obviously continue our ongoing access to services through partners like Lifeline, but also employee assistant programs. So the employees knew that if you are having issues, there is a space or an opportunity for you to reach out and get um, help and support from specialists. And not only for Cisco employees, but for their families as well. So that notion that there was a collective responsibility for Cisco to not only look after our staff, but also their families was, I think, really important. And Beth, from a lifeline perspective, it's incredibly important to to support the crisis supporters themselves. Yes, absolutely. Um, obviously, Lifeline is all about mental health and well-being. And if you think about the role that our crisis supporters play every day, 24 hours a day, um, in dealing and supporting with people that have, um, you know, mental health concerns themselves, uh, it's it's really important that our team have the ability to debrief during a an interaction or after an interaction they've had. And in fact, we actually we've we've brought in. Um, pre-briefing to start the day as well. So there's a pre-brief. There is um, centralized support and active support throughout the day to get help from in-shift support as well. Um, and then we do a debrief at the end of the day to make sure everyone's feeling okay. Um, we also um, take the approach that our crisis supporters um, don't work an eight-hour day. So we really only want them to work a limited number, probably no more than four hours a day, ideally, because it's pretty you know, full-on um, ensuring that they stay really focused and connected and addressing the concerns of each help seeker in a way that's unique to that individual. Um, so it takes a lot. Um, it takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of um, you know, emotional support. So for us, it is a unique environment where, we're, where we actually don't have full-time crisis supporters. You're both really painting a picture of digital transformation as a hugely successful strategy. It certainly empowers both the help seekers and the crisis supporters. That also builds greater capacity and accessibility. So if I can start with you, Beth, what are your key priorities in reaching the community? For us, it's continuing to evolve our service, and that's through um, you know, the use of data analytics, whether it be through our voice services, and we're just in the process of uh, working with our partners to implement both speech and text analytics with the view of, of um, targeting better support to, through to our crisis supporters, which then emulates in better service to our help seekers and really growing that digital component as well. We know the demand is there um, and whether that be through you know more online chat, more messaging through Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp and, and tools of that sort and using those tools to broaden our exposure to the communities uh, that really need support from us. And recently we've engaged in a piece of work to broaden our capability to support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island communities, um, which will be very exciting and unique for Lifeline to have a, a different lens on the way that we provide services and making sure that it resonates really strongly with those communities. And so we know that whilst voice is really important for that community, um, moving into digital platforms is gonna be equally as important, if not even more important to tackle the, the challenges that they face. 
And Tim, how can those digital platforms, as well as some of the, the analytics Beth was speaking about, enhance that um, the experience from the help seeker point of view? Well, I think Beth raised a really good point, and that is there are a lot of people in our community who don't have the same access to technology as some do. Uh, so we ought not forget them. Uh, and certainly something that we're committed to is building technology that it empowers people and communities to open up new possibilities. In 2019, the ABC reported the impact to the Australian economy from mental illness was approximately $60 billion a year. So thinking about mental health awareness more generally, that's a huge number. How important is it for early intervention from family, friends and healthcare providers uh, before that individual reaches the point of crisis? Well, it's vitally important, obviously, and from an employer perspective, we want our employees to be healthy, well, and live productive lives, um, both in the workplace and outside of the workplace. So uh, having employees who are unwell um, is uh, not an ideal situation, um, both for us as an employer and in the community more broadly, as well as the impact that has on the broader economy. And you mentioned some statistics there. I, I think the Productivity Commission um, said there was a total economic impact of up to $70 billion per annum. Uh, and it's estimated around 2.8 million working Australians have a mental illness. Um, so those are staggering numbers when you think about it. And we all know from our own individual experience, some days we're more productive than others, and some days we're up and some days we're down. So these are things that employers in particular are, know that they can have an impact on, a very positive impact on, by letting employees know that they are, um, it's okay to not be okay, that there are support services to help them, that if they are having health issues, whether those be mental health or other issues, that there is um, support for, and um, services to help them manage those health issues and get well again. So a lot more employers now and Cisco included are thinking much more carefully about how we train our managers to both recognise mental health and mental wellbeing issues in the workplace. Uh, that's a big issue uh, in these pandemic years that we've been living in over the last 18 months. So where to from here and what's the vision for the future? How can we shape an inclusive future for our communities? If I can start with you, Beth, what does the future look like for Lifeline? For us at Lifeline, we will continue to grow um, across all channels. So we won't discriminate uh, voice as opposed to digital. Um, but digital cl clearly is an opportunity for us to have a broader reach into the community. And if we look at leveraging social particularly, or um, and we look at trying to build communities across um, both our crisis supporters and our um, help seekers and access to information, one of the things we're focused on is knowledge management and being able to build a community where our crisis supporters can actually help us build content and content that is really meaningful to the help seeker. Um, and being able to um, feel like they are part of building rich content that can not only be used internally for supplying counselling services, but also that could potentially be packaged up and used more um, predictive in a way that um, we could put on onto our website. In addition to that, we're looking at expanding, working with uh, a partner who are on developing content in a in more languages than we offer today we have some of our um, content supplied in 
in simplified Chinese, Vietnamese, and in Arabic. But there's an opportunity to go much wider than that, particularly if you look at the lockdown that's taking place in Sydney today uh, and the, the need to service more communities in more languages to educate on um, you know, what, what's available to them to seek support for mental health issues. Big opportunity for us. And that could um, see us using technologies that provide the ability to translate direct from English into other languages as well. And so a perfect segue into you then, Tim. What, what role does technology play in, in shaping that more diverse and inclusive world? Technology plays a key role in particularly um, helping people who've ordinarily not been able to access our economy and broader society. Um, and we've seen that during the pandemic. I mean, this notion that people can't work remotely has been absolutely slayed. If ever uh, there was a dragon that needed slaying, it was that one. People have gotten on with their lives. They've gotten on with their businesses. They've gotten on with their jobs in extraordinarily productive ways. Um, so technology has absolutely enabled that. Now apply that to people who were out of the workforce because they couldn't uh, get access to a workplace in a physical workplace sense. So people with disability, both physical and mental disability, um, older people who couldn't travel or, or weren't able to engage, um, people in rural and remote communities who couldn't uh, travel into a city to take up a job that might be available to them. Technology is, and working remotely in particular, or in a hybrid fashion, it seems to be the, the model that will emerge where you might spend some days at a location and some days remotely, or working outside of a uh, office location. Uh, these uh, technologies are opening up a whole new opportunity for people to enter into the workforce. So I think technology in this case has an opportunity for us to move take great strides, if you like, in our ability to create a more diverse and inclusive society, particularly through a diverse and inclusive workplace. So what does an inclusive future mean to you? Well, for me, it's a future where everyone in our community has access to opportunity, whether that's employment, whether that's education, uh, whether that's a safe place to uh, live and reside, um, an opportunity for work um, and regardless of their life circumstances. Um, inclusive future for me also means that people feel safe uh, and that is uh, absolutely something that I think we're learning more about um, mental health and mental well-being is built around people feeling safe. Now I'm not, uto I'm not utopian so, of course, there are going to be circumstances where people don't feel safe, but having the confidence and feeling supported to be able to say something about that, that they don't feel safe or that they didn't like that comment or that thing that was said about them or done to them, I think that's uh, what an inclusive future means to me, that people feel confident and supported to be able to say that I don't feel safe, but hopefully we have a future where people do feel safe. And Beth, what does what does your inclusive future look like? An inclusive future for Lifeline means supporting emotional health through a diverse, integrated and caring network uh, and delivering help when, where and how people need it and avoiding any exclusion at all. Um, and continuing to work with a diverse range of voices, including those who have lived experience and those who may never see themselves as needing help from Lifeline 
and really ensuring that we are there to provide service and support to any person at any time across Australia through any channel that they they wish to contact us through. So over the last 18 months, uh, Lifeline's traditional fundraising activities have, have pretty much either been threatened or completely cancelled. So how can our listeners get involved at either as an individual or as a business? If uh, listeners go to lifeline.org.au, they'll see lots of information on how to volunteer, um, how to donate, which is really important for us as well, and just general information about mental health and well-being. So again, please you know, come and visit us at lifeline.org.au. Um, we'd love to have you um, volunteer for us and find out information to not only share with yourself, but perhaps with family and friends that might have an interest as well. Thank you for joining us uh, today and thank you for your time from Cisco, Tim Fawcett. Thanks for having me, Heidi. And Beth Parkin from Lifeline, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Heidi. Thanks for uh, letting me join you today. Sarah packs up her things. It's been another intense but rewarding session at Lifeline. She quickly checks her stats. She was able to help more people than she could a year ago because of technology and that makes her feel good about her contribution. If you or someone else you care about needs support or thinking about suicide, please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14, 24 hours, seven days, or chat to a crisis supporter online at lifeline.org.au, 7pm to midnight, seven days. You've been listening to The Future Is Empowered Communities. To learn more about Cisco's digitisation of life-giving services, visit cisco.com.au slash bridge to possible.